You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. disciples receive a message from Jesus telling them to go to Galilee and he would meet them there. So they were following Jesus's orders. They knew that they would meet Jesus there. So they left Jerusalem and they went home. I think that after the two weeks they had just experienced, it was good for them to leave Jerusalem. Jesus knew exactly what they needed. He knew they needed to come to common ground. The disciples had quite the two weeks, intense emotions, with unfathomable experiences, facing danger and responding poorly, confusion when all they thought they knew was turned upside down. They needed rest, the kind of rest only Jesus gives. As Pastor Dave shares today, Jesus is waiting with open arms. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 21 as he begins his message, I'm going fishing. Today we are going to start a new chapter in the Gospel of John. In fact, the last chapter in the Gospel of John. I can't believe that we're in the last chapter of the Gospel of John. Today we're going to be looking at chapter 21, specifically the first three verses in a message that I've entitled, I'm Going Fishing. So that'll perk your ears right up for some of you, and I know... um, Fishing is major in this area. This is a great fishing town. We are a major port for fishing, and we know that a lot of people like to fish. So I hope that this message is somewhat interesting and can minister to us. So John 21, verses 1 through 3, I'll read aloud if you want to follow along silently while where you are, or since you're there, you can read aloud with me, so... Let's read John 21, verses 1 through 3. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. So, as we finished chapter 20 last, we read Thomas's dramatic testimony. After seeing the nail prints in Jesus' hands, and seeing the gash in his side from the sword, Thomas acknowledged that Jesus was both his Lord and his God. Beautiful, beautiful testimony to Jesus Christ. And then we had Jesus' beautiful response in verse 29 when he said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This beautiful response of Jesus to Thomas gives us great hope. 
Because we're the ones that have not seen, but believe. And in this is a huge blessing. A blessing by faith. To receive from Jesus all that he has by faith. For we walk by faith and not by sight. The words of Jesus, and then on John's words in verses 30 through 31, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So wrapping everything up, John seems to conclude his gospel. He seems to have accomplished that which he wanted to accomplish. The emphasis throughout John's gospel is on believing. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God. The Christ. And by believing in him, you have life in his name. Many scholars think that the gospel should have ended there. Many think that this Verse chapter 21 was an add-on or an epilogue or whatever, but they think the gospel should have ended at chapter 20, verse 31. They wonder why there's another chapter. As I thought about it, I think that John didn't want to end this account of Jesus' life until he told his readers how his dear friend and fellow disciple Peter was restored to apostleship. John still had something to say about Peter's restoration and about the love that the Lord has for us. In fact, one commentator I read put it this way, quote, Without the knowledge of Peter's restoration, we would wonder as we read the book of Acts why Peter had such a prominent role in the formation of the early church, unquote. Makes sense. So John does write another chapter. We have it before us today, chapter 21. And in chapter 21, the scene now shifts. It shifts from Jerusalem to the Sea of Tiberias, which is really another name for the Sea of Galilee. In fact, when we were in Israel, we left from the city of Tiberias and went into the Sea of Galilee for our Galilean cruise. But we see that in verse 1. So let's read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 21 again. After these things, after all that had happened these last two weeks in John's gospel, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Remember, that's the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples were together. So seven of the guys went down to Galilee. And John names them. Familiar names. Simon Peter. Thomas called the twin. Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee, which were John himself and his brother James. And then there's two unknown disciples. Now it makes you wonder why John didn't name those disciples. Why didn't John put a name on those disciples? He knew them all. Why name these and not those? Well, it's sort of like Thomas's twin. I believe it's left blank so that we can put our names there. Because you're going to see that we could fit into what's going to happen here in a couple minutes. So the question has to be, why did they go? Why did they go down to the Sea of Galilee? 
Well, for the most part, it was home. It was where they lived. It was where they grew up. It was what they knew best. It was their home turf, so to speak. It's where Jesus did the majority of his ministry in the Galilean area. So the disciples left Jerusalem and they went home. But there's a bigger reason. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, specifically in Matthew 28, 7, the disciples receive a message from Jesus telling them to go to Galilee and he would meet them there. So they were following Jesus' orders. They were knew that they would meet Jesus there. So they left Jerusalem and they went home. I think that after the two weeks they had just experienced, it was good for them to leave Jerusalem. Jesus knew exactly what they needed. He knew they needed to come to common ground. He needed to go to familiar ground. You know, those two weeks had probably been the most confusing times in their lives. In a space of very short time, they received more teaching from Jesus than their immature spiritual minds could hold. They saw their hopes and dreams of the restoration of Israel shattered and destroyed before their eyes. One of their own, Judas, who had spent three and a half years with them, betrayed Jesus and handed him over to the priests. And each of them, except John, had forsaken Jesus at the cross. And Peter, Peter of all people, had denied Jesus publicly. In a very short time, they themselves went from a position of prominence. They were disciples of an honored teacher, a rabbi. Now to be hunted like criminals and to be hiding to avoid capture? You add to this the incredible fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. And he had showed himself to them several times, giving them unmistakable proof that he was alive. So I think their heads were spinning. I think their heads were like, wow, we need to go to a familiar place. We need to go to a spot. We need to go home. So Jesus said, I'll meet you at the Sea of Galilee. So they went. Now, as we have studied, Jesus had already appeared and disappeared several times. And it seems like the disciples never quite knew when he would show up. So you would think that they would be alert and watching for him since he had said he would meet them there. Now, we don't know how long they were waiting. We don't know how long it had been since they got there. But Peter makes a decision. Look at verse 3a. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I'm going fishing. So, the big question is, why did Peter make this decision? And was he right or was he wrong in making this decision? Well, frankly, it depends upon who you talk to. The Apostle John didn't choose to tell us why Peter made this decision. Didn't tell us whether he made a wrong decision or a right decision, even though John was there. And many scholars are at odds over this thing. What was Peter's reasoning behind this. Why did he do this? But I think you can look at both sides. I think you can look at both sides and come away with clarity. And you can take and you can apply both sides to our lives. And that's what I want to do today. I think this is why the Holy Spirit didn't tell us why Peter decided to go fishing. Because we can apply it to our lives as well. Because, like it or not, folks, there's a little bit of Peter in all of us. A little bit of Simon Peter in all of us. I'm telling you right now. 
And I want to examine both sides of this dilemma. To answer the question, was Peter right or wrong when he chose to go fishing? Well, let's look at the first answer. Peter was wrong to go fishing. Now, what do we know about Peter? Well, we know he was impulsive. We know he was impatient and outspoken. But it also appears that Peter was easily discouraged. I mean, maybe Peter had waited long enough. He was starting to get a little antsy. I can see Peter's impatience starting to get the better of him. Where is he? How come he hasn't come yet? He told us to meet him here. We've come all the way here, and he's not here. Where is he? Maybe he was thinking that the Lord delayed his coming. Or maybe he was beginning to think that he wasn't coming at all. So what did Peter do? Peter decided to go back to the old life. He was, after all, fisherman by trade, right? This was the life that he knew. This was the life that he was familiar with. Interesting, in Luke, Luke 5, verses 1 to 11, Peter was called out of this very life by Jesus himself. Jesus appeared to them and called Peter out of this life. So was Peter making a mistake by going back? Well, I don't know. Peter probably was the most discouraged of them all. I mean, after all, remember, he had denied Jesus three times when he said, I would die for you. But he was anxiously waiting for Jesus. But maybe his discouragement got the better of him. Maybe his discouragement got the better of him. How many of us, when we get discouraged, when we get disappointed, go back to that which is familiar? We return to our old ways instead of pushing through and waiting for Jesus to show up and guide us. We return to our old habits. We return to our old ways. Another interesting fact, also in the Gospel of Luke, specifically in chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus warns the disciples. Basically, he says, you can't go forward looking backwards. When he says this, look at verse 62 of Luke 9. No one having his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. No one having his hand to the plow. Jesus stresses the commitment to necessary follow him. One must have the same forethought and determination as a farmer plowing his field. You must do it with all of your strength and looking forward. Now, how did they plow in those days? How did they get the line straight? Well, what they would do is with their plow, they would look up and they would see a tree. They would look up, take up a point and they would look at that and they would walk to that point. I mean, if a farmer continued to look back every time he plowed, it would be totally crazy, wouldn't it? So this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying you can't go forward if you're looking backwards. Interesting thought. In following Jesus, we are to keep our eyes on him. We are never to take our eyes off of him. In fact, the beautiful scripture in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross, despising all shame, and now has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
We look to Jesus, looking unto Jesus. And this is no glance. This is not a quick glance. This is our fixing our eyes on him. Never letting him out of our sight. When I look to Jesus, what do I see? When I look to Jesus, I see one who is unmoved, one who is unchanging, one who is undefeated, one who is never outdone. When I look to Jesus, I see someone who was bruised that I might be healed. Someone who was pierced that I might have ease in my pain. Someone who died to give me life. Someone who fought the battle against darkness to bring me peace and into the light. Someone the world can't understand. Someone no armies can defeat. Someone the schools can't explain. Someone leaders can't ignore. When I look to Jesus, what do I see? I see goodness, kindness, gentleness. I see God. God is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, and pure. He's always right. His word is true. He's unchanging, and he thinks of me. He thinks of you. He's my redeemer, my savior, my guide, and my peace. He's my joy, my comfort, my hope. And I serve him because I love him, because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He gives me life and that more abundantly. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, all-loving, and all-caring. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. He'll never mislead me. He'll never forget me. When I fall, he picks me up. When I fail, he forgives me. When I'm weak, he's strong. When I'm lost, he shows me the way. When I'm afraid, he stands by my side. When I'm hurt, he heals me. And when I'm broken, he mends me. And when I'm confused, he leads me. When I'm hungry, he feeds me. When I have problems, he solves them. What do you see when you see Jesus? What do you see? What makes you happy and secure? I'm happy and secure when I look to Jesus, when I keep him in the forefront of my mind because he is the author and finisher of my faith. And I have to be honest with you, brothers and sisters, that last couple of days I got kind of anxious. I got kind of anxious about some things it's because I didn't have my eyes on Jesus. I didn't have him in my focus and him in my, my front of me. I was letting the world seep in. I was letting things seep in in this this. All this information on overload with this coronavirus information. And it seeped in and it blocked out my sight to Jesus. Don't let that happen to you. Never take your eyes off of Jesus. Always be looking unto him. Always look to him. Peter had been called into discipleship by Jesus himself. Jesus had explained the cost of following him. But Peter was feeling low. He knew he had let the Lord down. Peter probably thought the Lord wasn't coming because of him. So he went back to his old life. Imagine, if you will, Peter back in Galilee, back by the sea, back by this beautiful, wondrous lake. They call it the Sea of Galilee, but it's actually a lake. You can imagine Peter sitting there, staring out, gazing, almost daydreaming. The sea's glistening. The waves gently crashing against the banks. The birds circling each other and crying out to each other. The smell of the fresh air. Even the smell of fish in the air. This was all too familiar for him. It was all too real. The past several weeks seemed like a dream, but this was reality. This is what he knew. And yes, this is what he loved. Why not go fishing? 
Why not go back out there? Drop a line. Wet a line. See what happens. Why not? You know, way too often when we get to a familiar place or a familiar spot, a place from our past, and all those familiar smells and all those familiar sounds, it brings us right back. It's as if we'd never left. We can get real comfortable in a place like that. You know what I call that? I call that our default setting. You know, like when your computer crashes and it comes back and it's at the default setting, it upgrades. Out of the presence of Jesus, we go back to our default setting. We go back to the old man. We allow the old sins to come into our lives. Sometimes our default setting is our comfort zone. Did Peter think, you know what, I'm giving up with this discipleship stuff. I failed. I can't do this anymore. I'm going back to the old beans to make a living. I know how to do that, and I'm good at that. Sadly, sometimes our default setting is sin. Sometimes when we go backwards, we end up in sin. Remember what we read in Hebrews? The sin that so easily ensnares us. And the Greek word is really interesting, and it can be translated four ways. It can be translated easily, avoided, mired, ensnaring, or dangerous. And I love what Guzik says about this. Let us lay aside. Some sins can be easily avoided, but are not. Some sins are admired, yet must be laid aside. Some sins are ensnaring and thus especially harmful. And some sins are more dangerous than others. When this happens to us, when we get feeling this way, where we're back to the default position, if you will, I believe it's directly from the pit of hell. I believe it's directly from Satan. I believe he's laying a snare for us, like Psalm 91 calls it the snare of the fowler. I believe he's setting a trap for us. He knew Peter loved the fish. He knew that Peter was a fisherman at heart. He, he knew that. And so he lays out in front of him. He was bored. He wanted to go. Plus, there's another thing we didn't think of. I think they were hungry. I think they hadn't eaten in a while. It's a long walk from Jerusalem down to the Sea of Galilee. And I think they were hungry. I think they needed to eat to get some nourishment. There's no reason to believe that Peter's proposal was sinful. To go back. It wasn't really sinful, but it was dangerous. It was dangerous because we get back into that old lifestyle. We start hanging around with the old gang of mine. We start doing those things. How long does it take for us to slide back into the sin? It doesn't take a long time. You sit at the old crowd at the lunch table and they're all telling dirty jokes. How often do you chip in all of a sudden? Because you're back there again. Jesus had trained these guys for something far greater than fishing. He wanted them to be fishers of men. There was a harvest coming, and these men needed to be ready. He didn't want them involved in their old lives because they were born again. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything now was new. You are a We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. 
You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.